Thank you, Oladipo, Luke, Jesse, Jordi, and Candice. I was just uh, thinking about this. Around two and a half years ago when I joined staff here at Lake Avenue Church, one of the first things I asked was, I called Chris Ramsey, who was the director of Young Adults at the time, and I said, Chris, can you give me a list of 10 Young Adults members? And he asked, why? I said, I will not contact them, I will not connect with them, but I just wanted their name to be on my desk so that I can pray for them, because I believe The next season of Lake Avenue Church, the tomorrow of Lake Avenue Church, is not going to come through the next senior pastor, not through the budgets, and not through the change in constitutions and bylaws. It all will help. But just like Melinda gave us such a brilliant example of that tree being, uh, being planted for tomorrow, and that has to happen from our young adults community, and all we need is 10 people to change the church, and it doesn't matter how big this church is, it doesn't matter, that 10 people will be the people we should be praying for. So Chris came to me next day with a list of 41 people. (laughs) 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 Neatly printed, (laughs) and if you come to my office, you will see still, you will still see in my office, right across from my desk, uh, you know, I pinned on that wall so that I won't forget. Each time I sit in my desk and I see that, and I don't know all of them, but I just say a small prayer for them. And as a matter of fact, I was wondering, why don't we go off script today and uh, let's pause a moment to pray for, for our young adults and for our college and career group, for our children, right? Yeah, we've been praying enough for the senior pastor search and we've been praying for big, big stuff. And sometimes we forget the small, little, little stuff, right? So, let's say a prayer. Father God, you promised, you did promise. In the later days, you will pour out the Spirit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. Our young men will see visions. It is in the scriptures, we claim that scripture. And we pray that there will be a rekindling of the Holy Spirit. A true revival in its fullest measure will unfold from this pews. And Lake Avenue Church will be in the forefront of what you are going to do in Pasadena, in America, in the world. And we claim that symbol Melinda gave us, that little tree that's being planted by our children, will be what is going to guide us tomorrow. Again, not, it doesn't come from the pulpits, it doesn't come from our theological degrees, but the little children will lead us. It, Today's scripture, a child will lead them. And we pray that the anointing of the Spirit will rest upon our young people so that they will leap over walls and they will run against the troops and they will lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1971, John Lennon wrote this famous song, which later came to be known as the Anthem of Peace. And you all know this song. And it starts with, imagine there is no heaven, right? You all know that song, right? And one of the funny things about that song is that even though the first line says, imagine there is no heaven, the rest of the song is a textbook description of what heaven is, right? <laughs> and he said, imagine there is no heaven, and then he goes on to say things like, Imagine there is no countries, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions, no need for greed or hunger. But that's what heaven is. He basically plagiarized the Bible and the rest of the holy books. And then he said there is... <laughs> it is like... Uh, it is like if I write a song called Imagine There Is No Pasadena, but there is this beautiful city overlooking the mountains and freeway toot and go right through the middle. <laughs> and on one side there is JPL and then the other side is Caltech and Ross Parade too. <laughs> but there is no Pasadena, right? It's just, just as ridiculous as it is. But, hey, who am I to critique, John Lennon? <laughs> but the thing is that, you know, he, he wrote it with a good sense because this, this insatiable desire in human beings to create heaven on earth, like here, without anybody's help, and that is haunting us and from our beginning, right? We wanted to be gods without God. That's that, that's that desire. And that's why we create this utopian world in which there is complete justice and complete peace. And, and this is a good dream to have. It's okay for some of our young people to go and say that no justice and no peace, which is true. Justice is the foundation of peace, which is very, very true. But this utopia has never occurred in, in this world. Many people try to do that. Russia and China try to do with communism. America is still trying to do with capitalism. Arabs try to do with Islam. And Europe try to do with Christianity. And if we imagine there is no heaven, but very difficult to imagine there is no hell because we live in it. We only created hell in the process of creating heaven, right? That's the tragedy of this. So we have, we have this idyllic notions of this heaven on earth. Now the closest that comes here is here today. We read Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 10 and in which there is this little snippets of the glimpse of the heaven on earth, the messianic kingdom. And I'll just read just that portion again. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. 
Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now this is what we call heaven happening on earth. And theologians call this particular area or this, 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 this vision of the future kingdom as the peaceable kingdom. Peaceable kingdom, that's the name, that's the title of this kingdom to come, the peaceable kingdom. Now, the peaceable kingdom, as we all, like I said, different philosophies, different ideologies, we try to create this peaceable kingdom. But who did create this? Who is the ruler of this kingdom? And the script, you know, the, the verse from the beginning when you read, you already heard, it says, somebody named the root of Jesse. That's the, who, that is who the king of this peaceable kingdom is the root of Jesse. And you probably know that Jesse is the father of King David. So it's a direct reference to King David, but it is also a messianic reference to the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah is known as the root of Jesse. Because David couldn't create this, right? David built the greatest kingdom of Israel, but he couldn't bring peace on earth. He couldn't create this society where there is perfect justice not only among men, there is, this, there is this harmony between men, between man and animals, between man and nature, and this has never been created on this planet Earth. So it shouldn't be David. It should be someone else. So there is this prophetic allusion to the Messiah, right? Now, as Christians, we believe, and this root of Jesse, by the way, is introduced as we read last week, the famous uh, the scripture of Christmas, the root of Jesse is introduced by Isaiah a couple chapters before. And this is what we read, Isaiah chapter 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be, name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So, the peaceable kingdom is ruled by a prince. And his name is the Prince of Peace. So, he is the ruler of the peaceable kingdom. Now, who is the, the Prince of Peace? Then that's a, that's a puzzling question for many of the Jew Jewish scholars and the rabbis. And they know it may not be, it is not David. So, they attribute it to the Messiah. Who is this Messiah? And the Christians will say Jesus. But then they say, well, but Jesus, did Jesus accomplish this? Did Jesus accomplish peace on earth? Is there peace? Well, thank you, but... I don't know. I don't see peace on earth. <laughs> I don't see peace even in church. So what kind of Messiah are you talking about? That's a legitimate question. 
And their, the, the, the Jewish problem accepting Jesus as the Messiah is simply that Jesus, in their view, failed to establish the universal peace and the disarmament that, that is promised in the scriptures of the Messiah. So, so we are looking up to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, and like I said, and there is no peace even in churches. Oh, by the way, I'm not talking about any specific church. There was no peace, even Jesus' church either. They used to continuously bickering, and they were quarreling against each other. And there was one betrayer too, right, in Jesus' small 12-number church. So I, I don't think Jesus is going to blame us for some of that stuff, right? Like, you know, so, <laughs> so, so what is the peace we are all talking about? And that's particularly interesting in this culture which is crying out no justice, no peace. So it is important to understand what is the peace we are talking about. If it is the peace in, in our newspapers and television said, yes, Jesus, I know Jesus, you can hear me, but Jesus failed to establish that peace. So let me read a verse, and Jesus never promised that, by the way. It is our romantic notion of this utopian concept of peace. Jesus never said that. Okay, let me read a, a verse which you probably don't read much in the, uh, in the churches, okay? But Jesus said this. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Hello? <laughs> Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be the members of his household. I did not come to bring peace on earth. Now that, what does that mean? Is it reward? He's trying to create a rebellion and he is asking all of us to go to City Hall and march with the placards. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, he, he kind of explained it. John chapter 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave you. Now, the next one is important. My peace I give you. My peace is very different from your peace, okay? My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. So he very categorically said, your understanding of peace, you, the world's notion of the peace which we hear from politicians and the television sets, that is not my peace. That kind of peace cannot create a peaceable kingdom. It has to go into a deeper level of peace. Now, what does that even mean? What, what is peace, by the way? What is peace? Yeah, yeah, peace is many things. And, and one way of looking at it, I think, I would say peace is kind of harmony, right? Harmony is, a, is the first word that comes to mind when I think about peace. If there is harmony between the members, then there is peace in the church, right? If there is harmony between, in our relationship, then there is peace in our family. If there is harmony between citizens, then there is peace in our country, right? So in so many levels, 
Peace is a product of harmony. Harmony. Now, you know, the harmony of, of sound creates music. Harmony of colors create art, painting. And harmony of aesthetic objects create beauty. And harmony of minds create peace. It creates peace. But... That again is an idyllic notion, right? Like, you know, we live in a confused and chaotic world. And we all go through problems and struggles in our relationship, in our, in our, in our, in our connection to the community. But the peace that Jesus offered, he said, it is not just the harmony of mind, it goes a level deeper. Now, there is a hidden clue in the scripture we read today. The hidden hero of the story is not just the Prince of Peace, but the Prince of Peace as a counselor. Prince of Peace is ruling the peaceable kingdom, but he has a counselor who tells him how to rule the kingdom in a way, metaphorically speaking. Now, chapter 11 we read Isaiah, verse two says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit with the capital S, which is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who? The root of Jesse, which is the Prince of Peace. Right? It is that spirit. And it is that spirit gives him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now there is a deeper level harmony in the peaceable kingdom. It, is, it goes a step beyond the harmony of the mind. It goes to the harmony of the spirit. Now there is a, there is a harmony, there is a fine tuning between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit and that's when we experience what we call the divine peace in AKA Shalom. Shalom. Now Shalom is very different. Even when the peace around us is disrupted, we can experience Shalom because Shalom is not the harmony of the mind, it's Shalom is the harmony of the spirit, which is a level deeper than the peace we are talking about or the media is talking about, the world is talking about. That's what Jesus promised. I promise you my peace, which is the shalom, which is the harmony of the spirit. And in the deepest trouble, you can fine tune your spirit into the Holy Spirit and then you experience a peace that the world cannot understand, a peace that passeth all understanding. I like to preach more Oladipo, but I, <laughs> that's all my message is. <laughs> I'm going to give you an example of this piece. If you get this, that, then that's fine. You know, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter seven. I'm going to read a scripture. And this is a classic, this is, a, this is an actual demonstration of how the divine peace works in somebody's life. And the story I'm going to tell is the story of the first martyr of the church, Stephen, right? He was one of the elders of the church, and he started preaching. He was going around and preaching. Amazing conversions were happening. 
If you read Acts chapter 6, it says even the priests themselves were converting and becoming Christians. And obviously people were upset and they dragged him to the court, the Jewish synagogue and the court. And, uh, they, and they said, well, you know, he's blaspheming our law. He says he's talking about the Mosaic law. He talks about the Nazarene who said the temple is going to be destroyed and all that kind of stuff. The accusations are leveled against him. And then the council asks him for explanation. He turns around and if you read Acts chapter 7, I recommend that you read Acts chapter 7, which is the sermon given by Stephen right in the front of an angry crowd. And it is the most comprehensive, most, it is a great summary of, uh, uh, you know, starting from Genesis to, Genesis to all the way to 1 Samuel. He gives the history of Genesis all the way to 1 Samuel in one chapter. If you read just that one chapter and go back and read the Old Testament, very clear. So he gives them the explanation of the calling of Abraham all the way to the building of the temple, all the way up to Solomon. And everybody's excited. Wow, this guy knows the law. And at the end of the sermon, Stephen turns around with the full of the Holy Spirit and he looks at the leaders and he says, you stiff-necked and rebellious people. When, how many prophets did your fathers kill? And he accuses them of killing Jesus. And he looks at them and says, you are given the law, but you are not obeying the very law which is given to you. And then this happened. Okay, now listen, since I explained the context, listen to this. This is what happened next. I'm reading from Acts chapter 7, verses 54 onwards. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. At the middle of the scene, he, his gaze went up to the heaven, and he has what we call a beatific vision, in which he sees God and the Jesus standing on the right hand. If you read the Bible, it is normally Jesus is seating or is he sitting on the right hand of God. At this instant, Jesus is not sitting, he is standing. There is a sense of urgency there. Something is happening, and the heaven is, is looking to the scene with some kind of urgency, right? And then he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man called Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now you know why Jesus was standing. <laughs> he was sitting up until that time, and he was standing because his favorite, the first martyr of the church is coming. <laughs> what a welcome party there. That's a completely different scene unfolding in the heavenly realm. realm and he, Jesus, now we know why Jesus is standing. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, 
he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against, against them. He learned from the master. He looked at Jesus, remember Jesus' prayer, right? Now, last and final verse. Now, this is what I want you to focus on. Having said this, he fell asleep. Having said this, <laughs> he fell asleep. Stephen didn't die. Nobody killed Stephen. He just slept. He just slept. That's what happened. That's the accurate narration of that incident. When do we say sleeping? What is the thing we associate with peace the most? Sleep. Don't you think so? We use phrases like, whatever makes you sleep at night, right? Or, or I slept like a child. Or I don't want to lose my sleep over it. We always associate, because sleep is the best physical expression or manifestation of, of peace. Peace. And at that moment, can you imagine Rough cut, sharp, hard stones are flying like bullets. And this angry mob is shouting and screaming. In the middle of this, this guy has peace? Out of all the incidents in the Bible, is that where you see peace? Yes. Because that is the manifestation of the divine peace or shalom when the world, the peace around you, when the harmony of the mind is disturbed and the Holy Spirit says that you can still have the harmony of the Spirit because the clue was given right there, chapter, verse 55, this is the clue. It says, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently. <laughs> you don't know, there was a little clue. It was left right in the beginning. When this angry mob started cursing and cussing at him, the first thing he did was he tuned his spirit to the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently. And these rocks hit him, crushed his bones, tore his body, and his knees, his knees hit the ground, but his eyes fell open and he gazed intently because he was full of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, the violent kingdom of men collided with the peaceable kingdom of the Prince of Peace. And you see the beautiful vision of Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. Now that is the peace we should be talking about. That is the peace we should be striving for. And that is the peace can be given only by the hidden hero of Isaiah chapter 11, which is the Spirit with the capital S. He is the hidden hero. Prince of Peace is the king, and the Spirit with capital S is the king maker, in a way, right? <laughs> he is the hidden hero of, Acts, of, of Isaiah 11. He is the hidden hero of Acts chapter 7. He is the one who brought peace because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that he is also 
the hidden hero of, of Christmas. <laughs> As we celebrate Christmas, you know, right? Matthew chapter 118 says, Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We just rush through it, right? <laughs> because Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Of course, it's all about Jesus here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about it. Christmas. It's all about Jesus. But there is a hidden hero. Mary was found pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Luke chapter 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. Gabriel says, here's a hidden hero. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I pray that this Christmas season, my sincere prayer for all of you guys is to discover this hidden hero of Isaiah 11, Acts 7, and also the gospel story, the Holy Spirit. And I know I'm not talking about big stuff, and I know that the Holy Spirit is a term and a person who is being continuously abused and misused, but that shouldn't stop you from exploring who he is, because he is the gift. He is the, the actual gift given to us by, the, by, by Jesus himself. And I want you to know that we can have salvation, we can have all of this, but unless and until we have divine peace, we will still struggle through this world like failures. That's why the people look at the church and they don't see anything exciting, anything interesting. Yeah, we are all saved. We are all going to go to heaven. I'm not questioning salvation or anything. This is not deep theology. But for us to live as victorious Christians, even when our family life is crumbling, even when our career is crumbling, and even when this world is going through a pandemic, only Christians can stand up and say, we have, even in the disruption of peace, we have shalom, because we, our spirit, are fine-tuned with the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team. Uh, to join us. Spirit of God, we are grateful for op you opening our eyes to these hidden realities that goes even that passeth even our understanding. Lord, we've been going through a season in our lives, in the life of our world, that no equations and formula for peace has worked. No sermons have really helped us. No worship songs have really helped us. Even our prayers have sometimes become just repetition of words. But Lord, we know that the moment the Holy Spirit comes into our life and animate all of this, then everything becomes so powerful. And as Dan Crichton reminded us so eloquently today, we really need the empowerment that comes from the supernatural realm. And we don't want to end up as another institution another organization, or even another congregation. We just want to be the church. 
We just want to be in the Christmas season and uh, 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 that, that glimpse and, and, and the light of peace that everyone is looking for. So we open our power spirit so that you can come into our life and fill us and so that we will go out to this world in this Christmas season in particular as the, as the manifestation, as the demonstration of peace and as the children of the Prince of Peace in the peaceable kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.